Britain that uh, just got back last night, and uh, I always enjoy firsthand uh, feedback right after a missions trip uh, so that you all know what they all did down there and what God was doing down there. So Dave, come on up. Uh, but for those of you that are new to us, uh, we have a, uh, a church down in the Dominican Republic in the North Shore called, uh, the city is called, called Porta Plata, and the village is Montiano. And uh, out of that, or in that same area, uh, Bernadette and a number of people here in the church spearhead uh, uh, what we've called Love Unconditional, which is helping uh, orphans and widows and getting the kids to go through school and to find housing and to get them fed. And a lot of you uh, sponsor kids individually, go down and see them. But anyway, Dave, tell us uh, some of the highlights for you on the trip down there and, and all that, that well, happened. I'm really excited. Um, I had an awesome trip. We all had an awesome trip. We had a team of six people. And uh, it was so exciting that I can't believe this experience this time. I mean, a couple of trips I've been on, I got really tired because of the heat. It, it was uh, incredibly chilly down there for the Dominicans. They were freezing. So for me, it was great, you know, because it was 75 or 80. <laughs> so so that's a, that was the first good start. But let me just start out by saying, because I have a lot of stuff i got to go through quickly. Uh, let me start out by saying the first thing that really made this trip the beginning um, uh, different than others was when we went to Lavinia, which is a little church, Sunday night. The kids, the teenagers, were already singing when we got there, and they were already worshiping the Lord, and everybody was already piling in and singing and praising God. However, once we got into the building and we started to participate, the Holy Spirit moved and poured out His Spirit on that place. And God started lifting up praise and worship in that building that we didn't need to know an interpreter. We didn't need to have understanding of the language or the songs or the words. The presence of God was so powerful that we were all speaking in tongues and praising God and worshiping. And it was just the whole room. So that was the first night. We were on fire. And then from then on, everything started happening. Incredible stuff was happening around us. The Holy Spirit was moving on people. People were getting saved. Robbie went out to pray for, uh, talk to people on the street and was with Romano and they were talking to kids and then Robbie had it in his heart, I want to talk to these kids about salvation. Ten kids bowed their heads in the middle of town and accepted the Lord for se seriously. Compassion and move, their hearts were moved. Ten kids right there in the middle of the street in the middle of the day. Um, and we went out and prayed for kids. We had church services with the kids. Awesome stuff was happening. Um, we gave away a motorcycle to, to uh, Luce, um, uh, Hilda's brother so that he would have a bike that would ride so that he could do better with that. And uh, I, this is the one that I really want to share. Kiko, our driver person, but he's really part of the team, he says, I know a, a, an orphanage where there's a lot of kids <clears throat> and um, they're very poor. And I want to go over there. I want to take the team over there, and I want to celebrate a service, bless the kids, play with the kids, give them toys, pray, and sing, and so forth. When we got there that night, the pastor and his wife were so overwhelmed and so burdened that they could barely, they could barely talk. I mean, their hearts were totally broken. What we discovered was the military and the and the um, people that take the kids when they're the wrong. The, what is that? The um, immigration. They came and they kicked the doors in and they took the kids, took 10 kids away. 
and took them to, uh, you know, to other places. So they were stolen. And uh, he had paperwork for them. They were his children. They, he had adopted them. So the kids were stolen, and he was brokenhearted, and he was so overwhelmed with that grief that all he could do was talk about that over and over and over. And Bernadette and I looked at each other, and we said, she said, actually, we got to get this changed. we got to stop this. we got to get this changed, because these kids, need, need, we need to minister to these people. So we decided the best thing to do was to have the kids in their room where they play, and we could minister to them. But we took the parents, the, the a pastor and his wife, into another room. And we were able to isolate and separate this, this pain. And we prayed for him. Okay, so as I said, the Holy Spirit was moving. The Holy Spirit was already in power. The Holy Spirit was already ready to do things. He allowed us to go there. He allowed us to be there. When we started praying, this is the thing that was the first time it ever happened. Kiko started praying first. <laughs> and he didn't stop. He didn't stop. He kept praying and praying in Spanish, praying. He poured his heart out and was praying. And the, hu the wife starts crying. She starts weeping. The husband starts crying. He starts weeping. Now we start entering in and we start interpreting English but the Holy Spirit started rising up in our heart, and it got louder and louder and more power. And now we're claiming victories. We're claiming God's promises. We're pulling down strongholds. We're binding the enemy. We're claiming what God wants to do. Now the wife breaks out in tongues, totally bolted, totally right out, full blast in tongues. She starts praying in the Spirit. The husband's like still moaning and crying and weeping. Robbie breaks out in tongues. Then all of us start breaking out in the spirit and just calling on God and claiming victories and claiming power. And I'm telling you what, God moved in that place. And I don't even know if that woman was baptized in the Holy Spirit. That might have been the day. I mean, it's, it was like that. Mm -hmm. So, oh my God. I mean, the Holy Ghost moved in strength and, and, and victory. So when we got up out of there... When we finally all wiped our eyes and looked at each other, everybody was happy. Everybody was free. And the pastor was saying, thank God you guys came here and prayed over us. This is what we needed. And he was liberated. They were free. And it was just awesome. It was awesome power. And the woman had a leg that she was so injured on her leg that I had to help her out of her chair. And she kind of limped away into another room <laughs> And Beth, one of the other women on our team, she went over to her and says, your leg, I noticed you're hurting. And uh, Beth had already asked about, could God show her how to pray for healing? She went over and laid hands on the lady and <laughs> said, God, heal her foot, heal her leg. And, and then she asked her, how's your leg feeling? She goes, not bad. But she, Beth doesn't know what she's saying in Spanish. Is it bad good? Is it bad bad? She's like, not bad. And then Beth goes, do that. And she goes, do that. And she, it's, go, it's gone. Nice. She was healed. Wow. And she couldn't walk on her leg. <laughs> and that was like a two-minute prayer, five-minute prayer. I'm telling you, God, was, God is doing things. And the kids are on fire for God. The Holy Spirit is on them and moving through them. So it's alive. It's power. It's doing stuff. Thanks, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it good to hear uh, Dave share uh, on his trip?
You know, some people are, uh, I don't know if it's just a, a gifting. We all have different giftings. And we'll talk about that later. But one of the things that Dave, as you can clearly hear, he makes for great missionary work. I love traveling on missions trips with Dave because, uh, as you can see, he gets super uh, excited. But it's not just excited. It's like the Spirit of God does something. And when Dave comes back, he's full of joy for weeks afterwards. Uh, and, you know, my favorite mission story with Dave has got actually nothing to do with the Holy Spirit or with God. Uh, I just tell this story a thousand times because I just find it so funny. But, uh, you know, when I'm planning a missions trip, there's always a lot of logistics. You've got your passport sorted out and you've got to get the flights figured out. And, and we're down at Logan and we've got like, we're all trying to get through, you know, uh, check in and put our baggages in and, and finally walking through security. And as you're walking through security, Dave's like, oh my gosh, I got this bullet. And it's like, no, not like this, or like about this big. And I was like, what the heck? You got a bullet in your, oh, what am I going to do with this thing? I'm like, Dave, I don't know. We're on a mission strip. Get rid of this like ammunition, like you're carrying around a cannon. I mean, like, <laughs> anyway, it, it's fun to go on a missions trip with Dave. It's uh uh, that's all I can say. He, he's a, he uh, does well in, uh, in other cultures, but uh, never a dull moment when you're on a missions trip. You just never know what's going to come up. Uh, a few announcements. Uh, our life groups are re-kicking into gear, and uh, I, I want to just uh, highlight three of them. There's a uh, insert or a listing at the back table, a community table, which can get more of the details. But uh, let me just uh, talk about three. Kevin and Mary, why don't you stand up quickly? Uh, you're doing a group uh, Tuesday nights, and it's something like uh, being overscheduled, overwhelmed, overtaxed. That's the group. If that's you, Tuesday night, they the guys. Adam, where are you? Adam and the Snows, where's Christine and Steve? Are they? Why you guys stand up? Uh, they doing a group at Steve and Christine's house in here in, in, in Hopkinton, and Adam's leading that group, and you guys are on Sunday still, and there you go. Thank you. And uh, Liz, where are you? Are you in here? Liz, stand up. Well, we're doing a group at our place, and Liz is leading uh, a Bible study on Ephesians. Uh, so uh, there you go. So you just know who to uh, speak to and contact and uh, if you get the e-bulletin, you'll have uh, a link to this all, and you can figure it out there. But I do encourage everybody in our church to get involved in some kind of small group, whether it be these traditional, what we call life groups, or uh, you know some other group that's an interest group to you, uh, but some other connecting with people outside of church, uh, other than on Sunday. Uh, so find a group that's of interest to you and, and connect in that. Uh, if you're new to uh, here with us today, uh, we uh, just welcome you. Uh, we don't want to embarrass you by standing you up and whatever not, but we do ask if you uh, want to come back next week and you want to be connected and you'd like to be on the in-club and not the out-club, and, and if you're on the in-club, you get like, one of these fancy badges. I get a, I'll get promoted at some point and get one, but at the moment they give me one of these throwaway ones in case I'm not good enough. But if you... Fill out a little form that we've got a little yellow uh, connection card there at the back, uh, and you can give it to Liz or somebody in the welcome team up front. That'll allow us to print you a 
uh, a, a name tag for next week. And uh, we love and hate wearing name tags. Uh, we love them because you know everybody's name. You hate them because it's kind of geeky and feels like you're in some corporate company meeting. But anyway, we wear them for the very reason we like to be friendly. So uh, welcome to that. Please fill out a, a form. And now let's jump right into our message for this morning. It is Martin Luther King uh, long weekend, junior, and uh, I have a daughter at university, and I can tell you that on the university campuses, uh, race relations are not uh, okay. And so this being uh, Martin Luther King uh, weekend, I uh, just, you know, all I can say is we still got a long way to go as a nation uh, to figure out race relationships, to figure out integrating uh, different cultures, different people groups. And uh, uh, obviously Martin Luther King, uh, you know, did a, a wonderful job taking his faith in Christ and applying it to society uh, to make a difference. Uh, and that's really all I want to say about uh, that for Martin Luther King uh, Day, Martin Luther King Weekend. Uh, but uh, going back a little bit, if you think of Martin Luther, uh, the reformer, you know, now we're going back 500 years, uh, this was the break away from uh, Catholic influence over Europe, where there really was a state and religion were interwoven, and there were a lot of abuses happening within the church. And you've got the Catholic priest, Martin Luther, and he says, look, I love uh, God, and I'm reading and studying the Bible, and there's a lot of things which I'm reading in the Bible that aren't being reflected in the church. Now, he then makes a big stance against this and says, look, we need to change things, which is not unlike Martin Luther King Jr., reading the Bible and saying, wait, there's a lot of racial issues here. You know, this doesn't add up. The, the Bible is our standard, and we need to change things. But anyway, Martin Luther, the reformer, uh, you know, was the, credited for starting the Protestant church, of which, obviously, we are part of. And the person that was equally well-known or is equally well-known as part of the big reform movement was John Calvin, who... Uh, Martin Luther is German, John Calvin is actually French, and most of his work is done in uh, Geneva, Switzerland. Uh, and also, you know, a Roman Catholic priest, and, and he has this incredible um, uh, connection with God. And all I can say is God sort of illuminated some parts of the Bible or the Bible to him, which uh, was just unbelievable, just brilliant. I mean, people still read his works today, and uh, Martin, uh, John Calvin's uh, influence uh, was absolutely huge, and it's still felt uh, today. So what spawned out of John Calvin were three different countries, three different uh, denominations. Uh, the Dutch would be the, the Roman, I mean, would be the Dutch Reformed, or what we'd call the Reformed Church, uh, and in Scotland would be the Presbyterian Church. So the Presbyterian roots go back to John Calvin. The Reformed Church in, in Holland go back to John Calvin. And in England, the Puritan 
church goes back to John Calvin, and of course the Puritans come over uh, here with the, re with the Reformed uh, in, in our area in Boston. So there's just, you know, the legacy of Calvin is just uh, unbelievable. And uh, one of the favorite books for John Calvin uh, was this book that we're looking at today, Ephesians. And for, for, for Calvin, this was like the, the greatest book in the New Testament. It was like the best of uh, Paul's writings. It was the book that, you know, he just loved to preach out of, the, which is what he got the most inspired on. And uh, today we want to uh, talk about uh, predestination, which is this whole concept that John Calvin was, is best known for and still is today. And he really gave a lot of intellectual uh, thought into this uh, aspect. And every now and then we need to, as a church, just kind of grapple, in this case, with a doctrine uh, that is still pertinent for us today. And it is a, a doctrine and a reading in Ephesians, which is both unbelievably awesome and yet unbelievably like challenging at the same time. Challenging because we can't get comfortable with it. It's just, it's just too big for us. And so uh, that's what we want to look at uh, today. But at the same time, uh, while this can be a very intellectual uh, approach, and it, and it is, and in one way it's a, it's a great challenge for those of you that are intellectual or those of you that are academic, uh, or those of you that are thinkers or philosophers or have that kind of a bent, here is a book which like helps you in that and feeds you in that. And it's really helpful. It's really like this is something to be uh, cherished. In fact, uh, one of the uh, presidents of um, Princeton Theological Seminary became the president because of an encounter that he had as a teenager, while reading the book of Ephesians. So, you know, like you and I, you read through the Bible, and, and for, for many folks, you know, you just read through the book of Ephesians, and it's like, okay, six chapters, short book, move on. I've got Rob's Bible reading plan, and I've got to move along here because I'm, I'm behind, and, you know, next book, next chapter. And, you know, it's an interesting book, and you just kind of move on. But for other people, and I pray this would be your experience, when you start reading Scripture, you are sort of blindsided by the Spirit of God where all of a sudden something in the Scripture jumps out at you. It becomes very pertinent to your life. It becomes very real, very challenging, and you're very much connected with God. So in this particular case, this guy that was um, the president of Princeton, his name was John McKay. Let me just uh, read his account of when he was uh, sort of, I don't know, uh, blessed by the Holy Spirit as he was reading this book. It's, these are some quotes. He says, To this book, Ephesians, I owe my life, he wrote. He went on to explain how in, as a lad of 14, he experienced through reading Ephesians a boyish rapture in the highlands in the Highland Hills, okay, he has a Scottish guy, you're talking about Scotland, you're talking about, uh, you know, 1903. Uh, and he says, this book uh, 
was a passionate protestation to Jesus Christ. And, and he makes this declaration to, to God. He reads this book and he just says, Jesus, you're real. I, I, I just uh, want to receive you. I want to follow you. I want to dedicate my life to you. And he says, amongst the rocks and amongst the stars, uh, something happens to him. And he says, I saw a new world. Everything was new. I had a new outlook, new experiences, new attitudes to other people. I loved God. Jesus Christ became the center of everything. I had been quickened. I was really alive. I was like, wow, that's quite an impact from reading the book of Ephesians. You know, and uh, I just pray that in some sense, God would grip each one of us in the way that only God can do it. When we hear the Word of God preached, when we read uh, the Word of God for ourselves, that each one of us can experience a little bit of what John Calvin experienced, even if we don't have the brilliance that he does, or what Martin Luther experienced, where you know, we're saying we want our lives and we want society to line up with what we're reading in the Word of God and the love of God and the justice of God and the peace of God and the promises of God to come together. So uh, I, want us, I would like us today, as we look at this whole concept of predestination, that some part of us would be stirred up you know, in, a, in a positive way where we uh, get in touch with the awesomeness of God. At the same time where we can struggle with some of the things which we just don't feel comfortable with. And, and we can live in that tension. Or should I say that at least I'll be able to explain the tension. And for some of you, it will propel you to want to learn more or to want to dig deeper. Uh, and that would be a great thing. So, God, I just lift up this sermon this morning. I just pray you'd help me to preach. Uh, Lord, and I just pray in some way I could do justice to this incredible uh, section of Scripture. Uh, you'd help me to preach it. And uh, I pray that you would, your, your Spirit would move up on us, that our hearts would be able to uh, receive what it is that you're saying to us. So we just welcome you, Holy Spirit, uh, to be here today. And I just pray that uh, our hearts wouldn't be crowded out by the worries of this world, that we could actually slow down and focus on you this morning. Uh, and Lord, I just pray that there'd be fruit from your word as we hear it and meditate on it. So we just lift up uh, the sermon today in your name, Jesus. Amen. Now, I, I want to read uh, this section in Ephesians, chapter, the first chapter uh, of Ephesians. And I want to read from verse 3 to verse 11. And, but here's what I want you to note. Uh, this is all one sentence in the original Greek. In the original language, this is one sentence. And it actually goes on past verse 11. It goes from verse 3 all the way to verse 14. One sentence, one breath. Paul is just like saying this. And, you know, it's just like so many profound things that are coming out of here that in one sense, you want to read it in one sentence, in one breath. In another sense, it's like, whoa, whoa, slow down. You know, I, I need to like 
break this up a, b a bit and just chew on this a little bit. So let me just read from verse 3 to verse 11, which would be, you know, two-thirds of this one sentence. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before He made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in His eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of His Son, and forgave our sins. He has showered us, showed us His kindness on us, along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us His mysterious plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill His own good pleasure. And this is the plan. At the right time, He will bring ev everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for He chose us in advance, and He makes everything work out according to His plan. And it's like, whoa, that is just a lot. Uh, and like I said, it's like three-quarters of the way through one sentence. So uh, let me... This is just such a hard thing to preach on because you're dealing with a limited amount of time and you're dealing with like a big topic and you're dealing with like, okay, how do I, how do I like, you know, set it up? How do I talk about it? How do I leave this thing so it's not just, you know, hanging like all ragged and loose? So let me just recap last week because it's part of the sentence. So last week we were looking at all spiritual blessings because we are united with Christ, which is verse 3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. And the point I was trying to make last week, and I encourage you, if you want to follow along, you know, we have the sermons online, I'm doing the series, we're going to go through this book of Ephesians, uh, not verse by verse, but, you know, taking some chunks. But the point I was trying to make last week with this we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing with our being united in Christ is this. What God thinks is a great spiritual blessing to us and what we think is a great spiritual blessing are often two different things. And what we need to do is get our head around what God thinks is a blessing because God knows better than what we know. And what I'm saying is this. When Jesus was uh, walking around this earth, people flocked to him to have him meet their felt needs, particularly their felt needs like for healing. I mean, people were constantly coming to Jesus. You know, I'm sick or my mother's sick or my kid's sick and I need help, I need healing. And Jesus was healing people. Now that was great. That's your felt need. But that wasn't the purpose why Jesus came to this earth. 
uh, it's sort of like part of what he's doing, and he pours out his love, and he wants us to be healed. But his purpose was for us to be saved. Now, not too many people, when you read the Gospels, were like super excited about that. Not too many people were running up to Jesus and saying, Please, can I be saved? Like, what must I do to be saved? And not too many people that were healed by Jesus, that were blessed by Jesus, ended up being followers of Jesus. So there's this huge disconnect between what God is all about and what Jesus is all about, saying the primary thing, the most important thing, is that people will be saved, that people will be connected to God through Jesus. That was his primary mission. But for many of us, we're like, yeah, whatever, you know, uh, saved. Well, that's, you know, whatever. I, I need healing. I need money. I need a wife. I need, I need, I need, I need, I need. But how many of you are saying, I need to be saved. I need to be saved. I want to be saved. I want my kids to be saved. I want my parents to be saved. I want my friends to be saved. I want people to be saved. I mean, it's like, no, that's just for some evangelists. No, it's for all of us. There's a disconnect between what God is passionate about and what we are passionate about, and we need to align ourselves with God. Okay, that's last week. That's all our uh, summary of that. But this week, I want to look at verse 4. And verse 4 and verse 11 are just uh, a wonderful verse. It says this, Even before He made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in His eyes. Before the world was made, I mean, just just slow down for a second. Before the world was made, God chose you. Now, I don't know how you get your head around that. And let me just say this too. Uh, you could never have come to that conclusion, no matter how brilliant you are, unless by the inspiration of the Spirit, by Holy Scripture, you get told this by God, like God let you into the little inside and said, look, let me just explain a little bit about me and about you. And, and he says, I predestined, I, I drew you to me before I even created the world. That is a, a big idea. It's a big topic. You wouldn't have figured that out on your own. And verse 11 uh, you know, reiterates it and says, furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. He chose us in advance. And He makes everything work out according to His plan. God is large and in charge. He will, His plans will come to be. Now, if you're the average Joe and you like me, you just keep reading along in Ephesians and you're just a happy, happy chappy. You're just like, that was great. But every now and then, you know, somebody like reads this and they're just a lot more like smarter than me, they're a lot more intellectual than me and and your your brain just starts like blowing up, you know, it's like steam starts coming out and it's like wait a bit, there's a lot more to this, I've got you may have answered one question but you've created like 10 other questions and I need to have the answer to these 10 other questions, it's like I can't read further, I need to just ponder this, I need to think about this, so the the type of questions that you would be uh, pondering would be something like this. Wait a bit. Did God choose me? Like it's saying here, I thought I chose God. I thought I responded to God. I thought I invited Jesus into my heart. And then your mind starts going along and it says, wait a bit. Do I have free will to choose God? Or did God like 
elect me, select me in advance, and am I some sort of a puppet of God, and I don't really have free will, or do I have free will? And you're saying, well, if I do have free will, and, I, and God, I'm not just a puppet, I'm not just wound up like a mechanical toy, you know, it's not like somebody just put some batteries in me and I'm just going to go in a pre-programmed route, then exactly how does this all work and how does it tie together? How do I know that I have total free will and God is also predestined? What about, uh, okay, if God chose me, why didn't he choose everybody? Why didn't he choose my family members, my friends? Why am I the only one that's chosen? This seems like it's playing with a different value system, a value system of fairness and justice. You start saying, okay, so how does that work? And you say that seems a little unfair. And yet, we've got something very concrete for us to help us with this challenge. We know that God chose the Israelites, the Jewish people, not because they were so smart or so intellectual or so worthy. He just chose them because he desired to choose them. And they were a special people. They are the elect, or God saw them as being the elect. But it wasn't like God was unfair to the Egyptians and, you know, Australians and Americans and Germans, uh, you know, he was like, I want to use the Jewish people. And the idea here was, I want to bless them in such a way that everybody else is going to want in. And they were supposed to be a light to the nations. They weren't supposed to bottle up God's, you know, blessings. They were supposed to be a light to the nations. And, but they were selected by God. That's the point I'm trying to make. God had predetermined that he was going to do that, and he did. The next thing that goes through our mind, if, you start, if you're a thinking person, and you say, okay, look, if, you, if we were all chosen by God, and we know the next part of the whole idea of salvation, the reason Jesus gave us every spiritual blessing, uh, the primary connection is that we would be connected with God as his child, and the rich spiritual blessing would be we'd have an inheritance primarily because we'd have eternal life with Christ. So if we are the elect and we have this great rich blessing, are we saying that those that aren't the elect are predestined to go to hell? And it's like, whoa, that sounds a little kind of harsh. Okay, so we've got, to, we've got to think about that. We've got to like wrestle with that. Okay, it's just, and we are saying as believers, we just after death, we're saying there's only two options. We're either with God or, or we're not. We're either in heaven or, or in hell. There's no like, you know, other place. You're either dead or you're alive with Christ. Uh, so if you're not predestined, if you're not part of Christ, that's another option, which, okay, so your head starts thinking about that. What about that idea? And, uh, and if, that, if I just got to like kind of stop, because there's actually a whole lot of other questions that start coming up as you start thinking about this. Now you've got to start unpacking it. I'm just like, 
okay, now let a, let a few of these things out. I've got to like deal with them. You know, it's like, let me just uh, try and deal with some of what we got here. Uh, someone once said it this way. Uh, there's a slide for this. It says, try to explain election and you will lose your mind. But explain it away and you will lose your soul. <laughs> so there's the predicament. It's like, okay, if I stand up here and say, I've got this all figured out, you know, I'm smart as John Calvin, let me explain to you the, the tulip, the, you know, the, the Calvin five-point plan, and it's all like very clear and concise and it's nicely in the package, and yeah, well, maybe not. There's not so easy. Uh, some folks would just say, well, look, you know, this is just a lot of hooey craziness. That's exactly why I don't believe in God, because it just doesn't make sense. Or it's just not very scientific. You know, you guys that are believers are just so narrow-minded. You're so short on brain power. You just have to have faith and believe in some sort of God which doesn't exist. Uh, wait a bit. Wait, 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 wait a bit. We have very problematic, very material, scientific problems that we are unable to explain and solve. Take light. I mean, is it a particle? Is it a wave? I don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out that this is kind of perplexing. And why haven't we solved that simple problem? It's only life for crying out loud. It's not like God. And yet we know that if we wear Polaroid glasses, you know, they stop the sunlight, the, the glare, because it's a, it's a wave and it, uh, you can screen the light out. You put you know, Polaroid glasses, one this way and one this way, it's black. It's like, yeah, because light's a wave. But on the other hand, we know light's a particle. And I'm not even a scientist. I don't even want to try and figure that out. That's for you scientists, guys. You can figure that out. I don't know why you haven't all figured it out and sorted it out. I'm interested in God. God's a lot more complex than light. Uh, you know, he created it. So just because we can't sort this out leaves us with a different dilemma. It's like, okay, God, you are just much bigger than our brains. And if we could sort it out... That would mean we could sort you out, God, which means we're actually equal to you or even worse, greater than you. No, we are mere humans. And all that we can know about God is what God chooses to reveal to us. Uh, I mean, it's, a, it's an amazing thing. Uh, let me just give you one quote from John Calvin just so that you hear him in his own voice. Uh, this is May 1558. Although we cannot conceive either by argument or by reason how God has elected us before the creation of the world, yet we know it, it, yet we know it by His declaring it to us. By experience itself vouches for it sufficiently when we are enlightened in the faith. Yeah, even John Calvin, as he's speaking like plainly, is, makes you kind of think a little bit. Uh, let me just try and wrap this up quickly. Obviously, I can't do this justice. As I said, you start, it just takes so long to unpack it, and then, okay, we need some answers. Uh, who chooses who? Well, let me just say, one way of uh, approaching this is you could take a denominational approach. Like if you in the Reformed Church, they're going to teach you Calvinism, and they're going to say, here's the explanation to this, and we're going to teach you Reformed theology. Uh, if you go to a Baptist church, they're going to say, a Baptist denomination they're going to, or Baptist seminary, they're going to say, wait, 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 not so much on the Calvin thing. Let me talk a little bit more about your own free will, and they'll push that approach. So you could take the approach of saying, well, let me try and figure out which one's right, 
Uh, or you could take an approach like Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary up the road here, a great seminary, and uh, Eric Millard writes a great uh, a book on, on uh, theology. And basically what Eric Millard does is he said, look, here's the strong points of Calvinism, and here are the problems. I can't explain them, but here they are. Here's the strong uh, points of free will or Armenianism. Uh, here's what's great about it, but here are the problems. And there you are. Just, it is what it is. And I kind of like that approach. It's like, okay, uh, if I can understand the best and the worst of Calvinism, the best and the worst of Armenianism, and just live in the tension, that's kind of good enough for me. So uh, here's the scriptures that would support each mindset, each view. Predestined, we've just read uh, uh, these two strong verses, but uh, here's another two to add to it. In John 5, 15, 16, you didn't choose me, Jesus says, I chose you. And in Acts 13, 48, when the Gentiles heard this, they were very glad and thanked the Lord for his message. And all who were chosen for eternal life became believers. Very strong. All who were chosen responded and became believers. Okay, now on the other hand, the free will, okay, you choose God. It says this, 1 Timothy 2, 3 and 4. This is, the good, this is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved. Okay, God wants everyone to be saved. Everyone. And in 2 Peter 3, 9, in case we didn't get that, He does not want anyone to be destroyed. He wants everyone to repent. Let me just say that I think a healthy view is to take the Bible and to take the verses which support your thinking, whatever that might be, and the other verses. Not just to like be like a lawyer, which like stacks up all you know, the points that you want to make and ignores the ones you don't want to make and just make a case in one point. Take both and live in the tension and just say, okay, they equally have weight. I, 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 I can't reconcile this, but I can, both, I can say both have, uh, you know, both are God's word. I also want to say this. There's a problem that we have when we take logic and we apply it to Scripture and what seems very logical to our human brain, to our scientific thinking, can lead to an illogical conclusion. And to this, I need to make one point. When we think of some people being predestined to heaven and some being predestined to hell, let me just say this. There is not a single scripture that says anybody is predestined to hell. So you really can't make that what might seem a very humanly logical uh, uh, conclusion. You can't come to that conclusion. It's not scriptural. Uh, that's all I have to say. You have to live in the tension uh, of saying, okay, this is what it does say, but I can't extrapolate out what it doesn't say. Uh, that's... Now, I do not have time, but you do have a bulletin insert, and you can look at that. There's another wonderful part here for us to consider, and that is staying saved. Okay, once you've chosen or been elected to follow God, how do you stay in that state without falling away? And there's a wonderful, again, perplexing and delightful 
scriptures in both areas to look at. And, you, and I don't have time to preach it, so you can look at it in your bulletin insert. I do want to say this again in your bulletin insert. No matter which way you come out and think about this thing, understanding election should be an incentive to holiness, not an excuse for sin. Okay, again and again, people have said, look, I'm chosen by God, I've been elected by God, that means I can live like however I want to live, just living according to my carnal desires because I'm, I'm chosen by God. Uh, this is church history. This is how people have responded. It wasn't good, isn't pretty, and that's not uh, the conclusion you should come to. It might be logical, but it's not holy. Uh, the other thinking is this. Understanding election should be a stimulus to humility, not bragging or boasting and being arrogant and saying, uh, you know, like the Israelites did, look, I'm Jewish, you know, I can do whatever I, I, I care. God's on my side and he's not on your side. Uh, not good. It should be the exact opposite. It's like, man, if I'm a child of God, there's a, there's a humility that we need to represent the Father correctly. There should not be an arrogance uh, within us. Uh, I, we, we were looking at the book of Philippians, and uh, I, I love to end with this verse because it kind of ties two of these concepts together. Philippians 2, 12, 13, it says this, work hard to show the results of your salvation. Work hard. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Here's a funny thing that happened with that verse and with John Calvin. Um, when, when, jo when John Calvin was preaching, he told his parishioners, you know, you guys all elect. Because you're elect, you need to really work hard to demonstrate that you are, that you are saved. And so... His people, his followers, became extremely hard workers. And because they were hard workers, they really prospered. And because they prospered, they like did really well. And then people said, and then John Calvin would say, look, you see, if you follow God, God will bless you. And other people were saying, no, it's because you work so hard that you're doing well. It's got nothing to do with God blessing you. And, and again, you come back to this like sort of quagmire. It's like, okay, if you work hard, God will bless you and you will do well. And maybe that is God's blessing, and maybe that's because you worked hard. Uh, yes. Let me just say there's another Trinitarian aspect here to salvation, and I'll just say it this way as, as, we, as I'm trying to land this plane and wrap up here. The, the Father's involve, involvement in your salvation is this. He saved you in Christ in eternity past. He predestined it. The Son, Jesus' role is this. You were saved when, when He died on the cross for you. And the Holy Spirit's involvement in your salvation is this. You were saved when you yielded to His conviction and received Christ. There's a past tense, a present tense, and a future tense to this. It says, it's like this. What began in eternity past was fulfilled in the present time and will continue in eternity future. Now, if your head is not just like spinning, you know, like if you've fallen asleep, that's fine. Uh, on the other hand, if you're so overstimulated, that's also fine. Uh, you're probably a theologian, uh, and you're probably wound that way. 
And if you're a teenager, you know, this is one of those things. It's like, what am I going to do with my life? Where's God calling me? What's my career? Here's one of those things. If this is like super stimulating for you, you really need to think about going to seminary and being a theologian. On the other hand, if this is just like so unbelievably boring, don't, don't go to seminary. This, this just, <laughs> just don't think like, okay, I, you know, it'll be a real good thing for me to just please God and go to seminary. No, there's, there's better things, other things. If you're wired this way, that's the direction to go in. Why don't we have the worship team coming up? But let me just uh, conclude this way. Uh, God has united us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. It gives God great pleasure uh, to have us as his children. God wants the very best for us. God does not want us to be anxious that we're going to lose our uh, connection with him, that, we, that he's going to kick us out as kids. Uh, God delights in giving us the best. He wants his Holy Spirit to be with us, to comfort us, to direct us. Uh, God wants to be real to us. Uh, and he delights to love us, and he desires that we understand his love, but also experience his love. And he's given us the Holy Spirit to be with us and to comfort us and to guide us. I, uh, I particularly want to pray for uh, two groups of people here today. There might be one or two of you, maybe it's a teenager, I don't know, that really is thinking about becoming a theologian or is thinking about uh, this track and uh, your mind is really stimulated uh, by plummeting and exploring the Word of God in, in, in great detail. And I, I want to pray for you if that's you. I also want to pray for a group of you which you know that the Word of God is being stirred up in you in this season. And you are experiencing a desire for a lot more of God's Word. You, 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 you're hungry to plummet God's Word for more truth or to better, for greater understanding or better clarity in your own uh, mind. But there's the, what I'm trying to say, you'll know that this is you because you already have a hunger for and desire a whole lot more than what you're currently experiencing in God's Word. And uh, if that's you, I want to I want to pray for you because I, I just feel like unless God gives us uh, insights and unless God speaks to us and directs us, um, we don't really know how to guide ourselves. And, and I want to pray for you for that blessing. So if that's you, come on up for prayer. If you'd like prayer for anything else, come on up for prayer. Otherwise, we're done. Bless you. Get some uh, coffee in the lobby. Pick up your kids. Uh, have a great week. Uh, see you later. Love you.